You're listening to episode 132 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is The Ungrateful Traveler, based on Numbers chapter 11. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I have a background in theology and a love for travel. Having visited nine different countries and served in five congregations, I wanted to create an environment that discusses and encourages the overlap of my two favorite things, the Lord and travel. And if you have a passion for these things, or wanting to learn how God is such an integral part of our daily adventures, then you've come to the right place. Today's topic is The Ungrateful Traveler, based on Numbers chapter 11. Take a moment and think back to a time when you found yourself whining while you were traveling. Maybe you were a kid in the back seat asking the question, are we there yet? Or maybe you were an adult who was upset with the baby crying on the plane. Or maybe you were the college student, upset that a flight got delayed and you wouldn't be able to make it home for the holidays, or at least not when you expected. Whatever the scenario, I think all of us can find a moment where we were ungrateful during our travels. It's a really peculiar thought because... Ultimately, we're excited about our destination. Ultimately, we're excited for where we're going and we're grateful for the opportunity. And yet, sometimes our ungrateful hearts try to get the upper hand. Today, we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 11 to see when the Israelites took on an ungrateful heart. Hopefully, we can learn from their mistakes, but we can also learn to ask for forgiveness, too. But before we dive into Numbers 11, I do want to do a quick little recap. Over the past several weeks, we've been looking at times in the Bible, specifically in the ESV translation, where God uses the word journey. Journey has been used in multiple ways, journeying from point A to point B, to journeys in life, to a lot of different things. And right now, we're at a point where the Israelites have made it out of Egypt. They saw the promised land and doubted God's ability. Thus, they were left to roam in the wilderness for 40 years, and it's been two years now. They just set out three days ago, following a very particular method that the Lord put in place for them to exit camp, using silver trumpets and having the Levites carry the holy things in the midst of the camp. And now today, three days into their journey, they're complaining because they want some meat. I think many Americans, if forced to to cut meat out of their diet, would very much struggle. There is definitely a good number of vegans and vegetarians, but the vast uh, number of Americans are incredibly meat-hungry. 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but to help us understand where these Israelites are truly at. When they left Egypt, it was in a hurry. There had been 10 plagues, their firstborns of a lot of the Egyptians had died, and they were fleeing from Egypt with unleavened bread, bread without yeast, uh, anything that they could pack up, and gold and silver that they took from their neighbors in Egypt. And I'm guessing that a lot of them took some meat that they had prepared and had stored up, already had salted, everything was good, and they took it with them. And now they've been wandering in the wilderness. They've complained before about food issues, so the Lord had come up with a solution. He was providing them with manna. Again, this is a lot like unleavened bread, but it came with the dew in the morning. And so in the morning, they'd go, they'd collect manna, and then they'd use it for different things. They could grind it up and make it into flour. They would then take that flour and make pastries or small, like, cakes. Uh, There were just a lot of things that they could do with it. But overall, their diet was a lot of this manna, and that was pretty much it. Which, keep in mind that there's millions of these Israelites marching around, so that's a lot of mouths to feed. And when the Lord would send this manna, they could only collect as much as they needed. If they collected more more than that, it would get moldy and, you know, bad things would happen. That was just part of God's instructions. And so six days a week, the Lord would put manna out. And then on Saturday, they would collect more than normal, enough for Saturday and Sunday, because on Sunday it was considered a day of rest. The Lord rested on the seventh day. So this was the habit and the ritual they'd fallen into. But among them were some individuals called rabbles. And scripture doesn't really say what a rabble is, but our assumption, or a lot of people's assumption, is that these were Egyptians who had left with the Israelites. They had found themselves believing in God. I mean, it would be hard to not at least find yourself questioning things because God one by one dismissed all of the Egyptians' idol gods, the god of the sun, the god of fertility, the god of the god Pharaoh. Um, All of those things were dismissed one by one through each of the plagues. So, it was hard to deny that the god of the Israelites was greater than the god of the Egyptians. And so these would have been likely individuals who painted their doors with the lamb's blood. Uh, As the Lord had instructed, they hadn't lost a firstborn son, and they decided, okay, I'm going with the God of the Israelites, and I'll go out in the wilderness with them. And these are the first people to begin complaining, these rabbles, wanting meat. And as they begin to complain, the Israelites are like, hey, man, yeah, actually, me too. And so they stand in the doorways of their tents and start complaining to God that they would like some meat. They'd like something other than manna. I'm tired of the same old, same old. I've been out here for two years and anything I had with me is gone. Like I wasn't prepared to wander for 40 years without meat. And in fact, 
this is just a little minor detail, but I thought it interesting. They get so specific as to say that they miss fish, cucumber, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. And this is, like, I looked at the New Living Translation and ESV Translation, and they both said the same thing. And I just thought this is a very unique and specific thing that they were missing. But in the midst of their complaining, they didn't realize that they were putting Moses in this weird and uncomfortable spot. He starts complaining to God because he's like, God, why have you made me mother of millions of people? Why must I nurse these children who don't seem to understand that you provide and that they should be thankful for the fact that there is manna and it's not bad tasting. They can make these really delicious cakes. They can turn it into flour, which gives them so many options. And yet here they are complaining rather than being thankful. Like, have you ever heard of, there's just different ways to pray. One of the acronyms that I know is pray, praise, so thank God for who he is, repent, admit your sins, ask the Lord for something, and then yield his own plans. Instead, they were just all jumping to the ask part, complaining for something. In fact, they went so far as to say that they wished that they were still in Egypt because then they'd have meat. They were essentially making meat into an idol. They were making it greater than God, that the fact that the Lord had promised them the promised land didn't matter anymore, didn't matter that God led them out of Egypt and out of slavery because meat was more important. And so Moses, he's in this uncomfortable situation and he starts complaining to God because in his words, he says, Basically, that God had made him a mother of these infants, that he has to nurse them and take care of them. And he didn't really want to be a leader in the first place. And it's just this whole thing. And he's complaining to God, why did you give me this responsibility? It's it's too much. There's millions of people. This is too much. And they keep messing up. They keep being ungrateful. And if you stop and think about it, it's very ironic that that was how Moses went about complaining to God. Because in Moses' own story, the Lord gives him someone to nurse him and then another individual to raise him up. Because the Pharaoh uh, at the time during when he was born was slaughtering all the baby boys and he gets put in a basket and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and decides to adopt him but sends him to the Israelite, to an Israelite mom to breastfeed him and raise him until he could go into Pharaoh's courts. So it's a very similar (laughs) description. And it's almost like Moses himself has forgotten that God has been the one to nurse him and nurture him and hasn't left him as he's wandering through this position. So God's response is, okay, we're going to raise up 70 leaders to assist you. And we're also going to give the people some meat. And Moses is like, is there even going to be enough? If we slaughtered all of the livestock that we have with us, I don't even know if that would satisfy the people. Which that, that to me is him challenging God in a way very similar to the Israelites. 
the Lord has them consecrate themselves. Moses has to go out and instruct the people to consecrate themselves in preparation for the meat that would arrive the next day. And there would be so much meat that they would gag on the amount of meat there was and they would be disgusted by it within a month. And by consecrating, they were declaring themselves sacred, that they were set apart. And so really, they were probably going through different kinds of rituals. They were preparing their hearts in a, in a state of worship for the Lord. And when you're in a state of complaining, to go into this state is of thankfulness and honor and worship for the Lord, I think this requires a bit of trust great, God's going to give us this thing tomorrow, but I want it now. Like, that, that is, especially in our westernized cultures, we want things now, we want it instantaneous. And maybe they weren't that needy, but the fact that they were complaining tells me that they kind of were. So, they go about doing this thing, and the Lord appoints the elders. He meets with Moses and puts his spirit on to these elders, two of which hadn't been consecrated, so they stayed out in the camp. But because they were part of the elders, the Holy Spirit comes on them too, and they all start speaking in tongues. And this is the only time they ever do it. It's just God's way of signifying to the people that these elders have been set apart, that God, that Moses is part of Moses' spirit has been placed on all of them, and they all started prophesying. And it's the only time that they'll ever do it, but God's spirit does stay with them. So the next day comes, and there is quail all around them. And depending on the translation, I read different things, but the gist of it was it was about a day's journey away from the camp. And in one translation, I saw that the quail was piled three feet high. And in another translation, I read that it was flying three feet high. So easy to catch at that height. And the people were super greedy. So they caught more than they needed. They caught food for that day, but then they had five or six bushels of quail and they dried it out and stored it up so that they'd have meat for later. And in so doing, they were declaring that meat was a greater um, God than God himself. God won't give us meat again. God won't whatever. So I'm going to take this into my own hands and over-prepare. I will admit, in that situation, if I saw everyone else uh, gathering a bunch of meat, I think I would have been like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. We should all X, Y, and Z. But they're travelers in the wilderness, and that means that they have to carry this. And God has the ability to provide, and he's shown that time and time again, but they've already forgotten because they're craving meat. And the result of this, God gets really angry. He doesn't like that they're worshiping meat. And so the people prepare the meat, and they sit down, and they start to take a bite And as they start to eat the meat, God kills all of the people who were gluttonous and had meat in their mouth at that moment. Gluttony for me is such a catch-22. It's such an awkward thing to talk about, and it's so hard to know 
what God really thinks of it. It's, I know it's not good. I know it's not healthy for us. And you know that too. But what is truly gluttony? What is truly eating in a way that worships the Lord? Our bodies are a temple. And how are we to discern these things? I've been changing my eating lifestyle. And everyone's responsible for this on their own. And God will give us all probably different directions based on who we are and different things. But I've been reading different books like Made to Crave by Lisa Turkhurst. And I've gone and seen a dietitian. And I'm starting to think that emotional eating and eating just for the pleasure for myself and eating just so that it's a habit versus something to give me life and so that I can survive. That, for me, is where my line with gluttony is. And I've lived a whole 20-plus years on the side of gluttony, not really knowing it. I've fallen into the trap where I eat food, out of emotional boredom, um, rather than dealing with emotions, or just out of habit, or because I think it would taste good. Whereas God didn't design food for that, and in sense, I was worshiping food, and I'm still struggling with it because it's what I think about, it's, it's what I focus my life around so much of the time. And I can't quote it as well as Lisa Turkhurst, but I do encourage you to read that book because it's such a scriptural way to look at food, to look at how we take care of our bodies. And I also encourage you to read some books by Dr. Caroline Leaf that really help us to change some of our mindsets, to identify our negative thoughts and work on rewriting them. Maybe your gluttony isn't food. Maybe the thing that you are most grateful for, that without it, you would turn into one of these Israelites. Maybe that thing is technology. Maybe that thing is your job. Maybe it's certain friends and relationships. I don't know what your thing is, but here I see these Israelites on a journey where God is literally leading them with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and he's manifesting for them, and he's speaking to Moses regularly, and yet they forget about his power. They worship their own abilities. They have ungrateful hearts. We don't have to truly travel to struggle with these same things, but if we are traveling... There is this sense of uncomfortability. There is the missing of home. We might be missing our version of Egypt, our version of comfortability, and yet the Lord is calling us outside of our comfortability because he has something really cool to show us, our version of a promised land. They have this great opportunity wandering in the wilderness to truly be so close to the Lord, to see his power. And yet they're ungrateful. And the Lord is close to you right now, too. He's showing up every single day. 
He's doing amazing things all around you. And if you're so focused on your idol, if you're so ungrateful because things aren't how they used to be or things aren't how you wish they would be, then you're missing out on what God has for you right now in the present. You're missing out on so many things to be thankful for. You're missing what God has and this relationship he He wants for you that can prepare you for your promised land of eternity in heaven and paradise with him. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I lift up these Christian travelers unto you because we have our own idols. These things that we worship so much that they make us ungrateful for what we have now. Lord, we end up worshiping the pleasures of the past or the dreams of the future and we forget about the relationship we can have with you right now. Lord, stir our spirit that we may yearn to grow that relationship now, today, that when you take us on trips that we may see what the lessons you are teaching us and find a closer connection with you. And in the uncomfortability of the unknown, of the different, of the uncertain, may we rest in your joy and peace. In your name we pray. Amen. I do have one more closing thought and question, but before I do, I want to encourage you to head to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find links to our social media. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, which gets this podcast directly into your email once a week. Also, we'll send you information about any upcoming trips and opportunities including some of our unique resources like our Ultimate Travel Kit. It's great if you work with a group of people, whether retired adults or youth or young professionals or anything else in between, and it helps you to challenge them to grow in their relationship with the Lord with grateful hearts as they journey through whatever adventures you're taking them on. Additionally, If you're a solo traveler and you're looking for different devotional tools, prayers, trip preparations, and just a Christian travel journal in general, you can find that on our website under resources. Or if you just want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you as well. You can message me there. And of course, we always encourage you to leave a review on our podcast and share this with a friend if this podcast stirred your heart in any way. But my closing thought and question is this. When God answers your prayers, just like when God gave quail to the Israelites, do you stop to thank him? Maybe you forgot when you asked him in the first place to praise him, to repent, to ask, and to yield. But when he actually answers the prayer, do you thank him then? The Israelites turned greedy. They collected abundant bushels of food. They dug in, and yet it never says that they thanked God that they had meat. 
They never thank God for a difference in their diet other than just plain old manna. And if you find yourself with an ungrateful heart, maybe one of the first places that you can start in changing that mindset outside of some of those resources I did mention and I'll have in the show notes. But one of the first places that you can change your heart is by journaling your prayers, writing them down. There's amazing apps out there for that. There's plenty of blank sheets of paper. Write down your prayers. Keep record of them. And then as prayers get answered, go back and review those prayers. See how the Lord's answered them. I have a jar on my desk and I'm not great about it, but sometimes I fill it with random prayers. Sometimes I fill it with thanksgivings. And my goal at the end of a year is to pull them all out and go, wow, look at this amazing thing that the Lord did. And look how many prayers he truly did answer. Sometimes when we're so stuck in the moment, like the Israelites, we find ourselves complaining, wanting something instantaneously, and we don't realize just how many other things along the way he's answered. They're not usually in our time. They, the, sometimes it is an immediate yes, but oftentimes it's a wait or a no. But as he answers them, and as you reflect and thank him for it, not only does it change your heart, but it grows your relationship. And that is truly a thing that can affect more than just you. Others look to you to see how your relationship and your connection with God manifests, how it, it shows itself. And when your heart is thankful, when your heart is full of praise, that's so different than our world and the people around us. It's so different than the rabbles. It's a connection and deep relationship with God. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. And until next time, safe travels and God bless.